who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter 39. There Will Be Blood. Just as Dahi had predicted, Kyoti's army, using Turlo's intelligence, ignored the stone ramparts, swept wide behind the hall, and prepared to attack what yesterday had been the unprotected hill. Kilty's forces took their time setting up. If their sixth sense was warning them about the buried gold barrier, they weren't showing it. We stood in a row, two deep, banta sticks in hand, waiting for the attack. The previous night there had been a pretty heated debate about whether we should be defending with swords or sticks. Spiog said we were at war and we should be using swords like warriors, but I said no. These people were not monsters or robots. They were men and women whose only crimes was to have their minds corrupted by evil men. Spiog pointed out that they would not give us the same courtesy. Before I could reply, Essa said something that finished the argument. What would we win, she asked, if after we defeat our enemies, we become just like them? At that moment, I wanted to kiss Essa square on the mouth, but... Then again, I could say that about most moments. The battle began with a mortar attack. The enemy cheered as they sent conch shells sailing overhead. Except for one that Essa batted back like a major league baseball player, half a dozen shells landed on the ground with smoke rising out of them. We backed away expecting the worst, but they did nothing. Finally, brave souls picked them up and threw them back. Our enemy stopped cheering, and for a while they looked confused. Orders barked from the back of the ranks, refocused the troops, and they strapped short shields to their arms, drew their swords, and waited for the order to charge. The silence, as the old expression goes, was deafening. I looked to my left and saw Yogi morph into a bear and growl. I looked to my right. Essa nodded and spun her banta stick. There wasn't a smiling face to be seen. 
How I wished Fergal was there with me. I didn't hear the order to charge, but I sure saw the results. A couple of hundred screaming banshees and howling brownies charged up the hill under the shadow of a flock of arrows launched from the rear. The attackers must have seen the arrows explode into flames as they crossed the gold barrier. They probably expected it. What they didn't expect is what came next. As the first line of banshees crossed the point where we had buried the ribbons of gold, their swords and shields vanished in a puff of smoke. Their forward momentum carried them straight into our waiting sticks. It was like hunting in a zoo. Baffled and surprised banshees ran straight at us as we mercilessly clubbed them and then dropped back so as to let the next line step up and have a full swing. Banshees, then brownies, dropped like bowling pins and piled up on one another. Others collided and tripped over confused, retreating soldiers who were running in every direction. It was horrible. The sound of it was sickening, and the looks on their faces just before we hit them was pathetic. I thank the gods we weren't using swords. I don't even think the hardest of us could have withstood that guilt. When they finally retreated, what remained was a long pile of moaning banshees and brownie bodies lying twisted in a heap three deep. Since we had no provisions to take prisoners, details of soldiers were chosen to untangle and roll the unconscious aggressors back down the hill. Among them were Neve and her little cabal of sorceresses. They stuck most of the enemy in the leg with one of my Aunt Neve's special paralyzing pins. When they woke up, they found it difficult to use that leg for a day or so. It would make a little bit of difference, but not much. Kilty's forces were substantially larger than ours. It was too late for my uncle to mount another attack. Since he knew he had the upper hand and we had little chance for reinforcements by tomorrow, they simply backed out of archery range and made camp. Well, it looks like we won round one, I said to Spiag. War is scored by the dead, Connor, the old warrior said. This battle has yet to begin. I continued with my morale man job, dispensing pep talks as deemed necessary for a while, and then went to headquarters to check if I was needed or maybe get in a little nap. I caught my Aunt Neve by surprise, and she quickly turned away and wiped her eyes. Are you okay? I asked. She tried to put on a brave face, but at the last second she told the truth. Her voice wobbled as she said, No, and sat down. That was an answer I wasn't ready for. Of all people, Neve was the last person I would have expected to crack under pressure. I sat on the arm of her chair and put my hand on her shoulder. How did he die? She asked, not looking at me. That question hit me like a slap. How should I answer that? How did Brendan die? If I was truthful, I would have told her that one of her own spells made him powerless to move while he was burned alive. But instead I said, It was instant and painless. He wouldn't have known what hit him. That seemed to do the job. She wiped her face, stood up, and said, Right. We have a battle to prepare for. Yes? Actually, I was hoping to have a kip. Do you think that's okay? Of course, she said as we gave each other a proper hug. You may be our prince, but you are still just a fairy. I nodded and left for my tent. 
I understood what she meant, but it still didn't sound right. I willed myself not to dream, but that didn't work. Once again in dreamland, I zoomed to my father's side. I have to admit that even though I would never abandon my comrades, I would be lying if at that moment flying away to Castle Door wasn't what I truly wished I could do. It was well after midnight when I awoke. I walked to the battlements and found Spiag with a very short imp sorceress. The sorceress mumbled over an arrow and then handed it to the old archer, who notched it into the biggest bow I had ever seen. He let it fly, and I lost it in the night sky. I started to look away, but Spiag said, Keep watching. As the lost arrow began to descend, it started to glow, and then... It exploded on top of a tent, showering it in flames. Screaming and cursing could be heard wafting up from the enemy camp. Are you having fun? I asked. We are not sleeping tonight, Spiag said. There is no reason why they should. We spent the rest of the night lobbing arrows into Kilti's camp. By morning, Essa, Yogi, Dahi, and Neve had all joined us, and we giggled like schoolchildren every time Spiag let an arrow fly. Some of Spiag's archery students tried their hand with a big bow, but none of them were as good as the master. It was amazing how many tents he hit, even though he couldn't see them until they went up into flames. With the troops assembled at the ramparts, Dahi asked me if I wanted to address them again. I told him that I had already done my bit, and maybe he should do it. He didn't disagree. Today will be different from yesterday, Dahi said, raising his gruff voice. Today we use swords. Today there will be blood. But the first victim of your sword should not be your enemy. It should be the little voice inside you that is saying that this battle is already lost. You must find that voice and kill it, because all is not lost. I would not have us here if it was. I have trained you, and I know what you can do. And this, together, we can do. Today, there will be swords. Today, there will be blood. Let us make sure that the blood that runs is not ours. Let us make sure that those who would take away who we are will pay for their arrogance. Today there will be blood, and today we shall endure. The crowd went wild. I patted my old master on the back and said, Awesome, dude. Spiag turned to Dahi and said, I thought it was a bit flowery. Then he smiled, and the two old rivals shook each other's hands. Are you ready to go into battle with me again, old friend? Dahi said. Who are you calling old? Spiag replied. By the way, remind me that I have to tell you something when this is all over. Dahi was just about to ask what when someone cried, Incoming! And the battle began. The sky blackened with arrows. We all ducked behind battlements and watched in horror as soldiers who were caught out in the open scrambled for cover. Then I saw a conch shell hit the ground about 25 feet behind me. This one, unlike the ones yesterday, wasn't smoking. I peeped over the battlements, and seeing that there were no arrows in the way, I dashed over, intending to throw it back. 
I was no more than an arm's length away when I heard the ear-piercing sound and was instantly doubled up in pain. All around me, men dropped to the ground, pulling their knees up to their chests. I'm sure, like me, they were howling in pain, but nothing could be heard other than the screaming sound that was coming from the shell. I knew we had to get rid of it, but every time I tried to straighten my legs, the pain that was nearly unbearable doubled. I started dragging myself towards it with my fingers in the dirt when I saw Essa, obviously in pain, but on her feet, stagger over to the shell and smash it with her banta stick. The sound and the pain went as suddenly as it had come. Essa poked through the rubble of the shell and picked up a small gold amulet that was buzzing with the tiniest sound. Then using her teeth and fingers, she bit and twisted it until it stopped. Dahi, who I'm embarrassed to say was on his feet much faster than me, walked over and took the amulet from Essa. It's a gleam, he said. Gleam? Where had I heard that before? That was the thing that Kielty had used on Dad to win the boat race. It inflicted the pain of childbirth. That settles it, I said. I am never getting pregnant. Someone shouted, Incoming! And we ran back to the ramparts for cover. Spiog kept his nose over the wall and then popped up to shoot a second shell out of the air like a Kentucky skeet shooter. Essa ducked in next to me. Didn't that gleam thing hurt? I asked her. Of course it hurt, but it was nothing I couldn't take. She rolled her eyes and shook her head. Men. Kilty's first attack was small, designed to force us to show our strengths and weaknesses. It was also designed to fail. On a strictly tactical standpoint, I guess it was sensible, but using any other yard stick, especially a moral one, it was despicable. It was a suicide mission. That is, if the attackers in the first wave volunteered. If they were ordered to go, then it was a death sentence, and we were the executioners. About 70 brownies dashed directly at the ramparts, The first thing they discovered was that Dahi and the leprechauns had, for months, been hammering every flat rock or piece of shale that they could find into the ground in front of the stone defenses. Running on it at any speed was almost impossible. It was a minefield for ankle twisting. Many brownies tripped and many others were mowed down by Spiog and his archers. Only four brownies reached the wall and when they did, they seemed to not know what to do. Several of their attacking comrades had been carrying siege ladders, but they had been stopped by arrows. As our archers bore down on the fort, Dahi ordered them not to fire. Brownies, Dahi called down to them. You have fought bravely, but you have no chance to scale these walls. I offer you safe passage if you go back now. As I watched, I prayed that they would take this offer. They looked like lost cold orphans shivering in a big city alley. If they defiantly started to climb, we would have no choice but to kill them. I can't tell you how quickly I was getting tired of this war stuff. They huddled up and then accepted. With their heads held high, they marched back over the ankle-twisting stone field. About halfway across, a huge volley of arrows from Kielty's camp dropped all of them as one. 
It was my uncle's way of showing the rest of his army how he felt about surrender. Dahi made no comment nor showed any emotion in regards to the slaughter. He just nodded like it was business as usual. Kilti and Turlow have learned all they need to know, the general said. The next attack will be all of them. I stepped off my post in hopes of getting to the wash tent so I could splash some water on my face and maybe wash away some of the horror that I had just seen. Some of the horror that I had just been part of. I used a shortcut that brought me around the back of the tent, and there I found Spiog sitting with his back to a low ruined wall, his knees up and his face in his hands. I hesitated before I disturbed him. I hoped that when he removed his hands that they were not awash with tears. If Spiog broke under this pressure, what chance had the rest of us from surviving unscathed? But surviving unscathed was probably impossible anyway. Are you okay? I asked, crouching down to his level. He looked up. His eyes were clear, but filled with a millennium's worth of sadness. May the gods damn your uncle. Yeah, I agreed. And they'll have to get in line. There's a few of us around here who would like to damn him and do a bit more. Those brownies. Spiag paused. On his face he wore the sorrow of a man searching through old painful memories. Those brownies fought like the feely. During that war... Maeve threw her feely at us like they were toy soldiers that could later be just glued back together again. He shook his head and looked down. How do they do it? How do these madmen get their followers to follow them with such suicidal abandon? I don't know, Master, I said. I don't think we will ever know, but isn't that what makes us better than them? He looked up, smiled at me, then stood, instantly regaining his innate heroic stance. You have your grandmother's smile, you know. You must tell me about her sometime. I will, when this is all over. He laughed to himself as he turned. I might even do better than that. He jogged back to his post without giving me a chance to ask him what he meant. Back on the battlements, the sun rose to its zenith in a crystal-clear blue winter sky. The heat was welcome as it allowed us to believe that the sweat that was dripping down our backs was caused by the sun and not our jangling nerves. In Kielty's camp, there could be heard orders being barked and bugly-sounding things being played as the army of the Banshees and the Brownies readied for their main offensive. Essa dropped in next to me. Dahi thinks the attack will be soon, she said. Are you ready? Born ready, I said automatically. As I scanned the horizon, I felt Essa reach down and entwine her fingers in mine. I looked at her. She was fierce and scary and oh so achingly beautiful, all at the same time. She leaned in and kissed me. I placed my hands gently on her shoulder and pushed her back. We're not going to die, I said. She turned away, looking out over the field, and then I felt her tense up like the strings of a tennis racket. She pointed to the edge of the rise. 
As I followed the line of her finger, I saw hundreds of screaming soldiers charge into view. Tell that to them, she said as she drew her sword. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.